Okay, so we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and those of you who are familiar with the Bible will know that that is Matthew's, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks now, and we've had a little break, haven't we? We've had a few weeks of doing things slightly differently, with um, hearing about climate, which was amazing, and harvest, and doing slightly more reflective Um, looks at the Sermon on the Mount over the last couple of weeks, but we're back into our flow now up until Advent, I guess, which is coming up soon. Excitingly, yes, Kate, Advent. Um, And then we'll be doing a few different things then too. So I'm going to talk about uh, Matthew 5, 43 to 48, which Sarah read a little earlier. Um, Sermon on the Mount, Tom Wright, who is a famous commentator and theologian, and who often writes about the New Testament, he said that if we read the Sermon on the Mount like a set of rules, we'll quickly see them as idealistic and not attainable, and then we'll just return to our normal lives. So actually, it's very easy to read some of this and think, I can't do that. I just need to ignore that bit and carry on living as we live. And I think Jesus, what is amazing about this is Jesus is showing us how he lived his life and that he did it and that he is God. And that means Emmanuel and that means with us, God with us. So actually, this is, this could read like a set of rules. It could read like a way to behave, but it's not that. It's good news and it's the promise that God is with us, that Jesus is with us in everything we do, in every single circumstance of life. That's good, isn't it? That is brilliant. He is with us, which is amazing. So we need to read the passage, and we need to read all the passages, really, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the context of who Jesus is and also how he acted at this time. So he was mocked, but he didn't respond as we've seen that very ably demonstrated in Ruth and Ruth and Marco's storytellers over the last couple of weeks. He was challenged, but he wasn't passive when he was challenged. He turned things around and he told stories, amazing parables that forced people to think differently. He was struck and he took the pain, so leading up to his death, and then he carried his cross. And when he was nailed to the cross... And when he was really taunted, he prayed for all his mockers. I mean, that is just absolutely remarkable, isn't it? So the first bit, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, very conveniently, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby tweeted about this last week and he put the hardest commands we have from Jesus and one of the most revolutionary is love your enemies, which is very helpful. Um, But in true Twitter style, if you are a person who's in the public eye and you're on Twitter, you just open yourself up and people know it when they're on Twitter but you get this barrage of comments and tweets in reply and these are some of them and it helps us understand a little bit about what people think when they hear love your enemies and how Jesus taught differently so 
people said, this is in response to his tweet, I don't believe in fairy tales or unicorns, so you'll forgive me if I pass on that one. I have already recently binned two of my oldest friends. Someone else put, explain that one to my granddad and his experiences in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. Someone else has put, true, but this is very difficult when at the moment our enemy, our biggest enemy, is this government. And somebody else put, I can easily forgive and I can pray for my enemies, but loving them is a really, really tough one. So you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is the last of six statements in the Sermon on the Mount where it starts off, you have heard it said. Love your neighbor. Does anybody know where that comes from? Love your neighbor. Where would the people that Jesus was talking to here have heard, love your neighbor? Any answers? Somewhere in Leviticus. It is Leviticus 19, verse 18. They would have heard, love your neighbor in Leviticus 19, verse 18. So that would have been very familiar as a scripture to the people that, the disciples that Jesus was talking to at this time. Hate your enemy. Where does hate your enemy come from? Where does that come? Anybody know? Does that come from Leviticus as well? Do you know what? It's not biblical. So it doesn't turn up at all. It doesn't turn up at all in the Old Testament. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor. That was... People steeped at that time in Jewish scriptures would have known that. Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy was just a... The leading theory is that it was just a Jewish thought at the time. It's not biblical in any shape or form. It doesn't turn up in the Old Testament at all. Okay? So Jesus is putting those two things together. He's contextualizing for the people by looking, some of you will know this image, I'll talk about that in a minute, contextualizing for people by rooting stuff in scripture, but also in culture, actually looking, hate your enemy, what does that actually mean? So love your neighbor is in Leviticus, hate your enemy wasn't. Who is my neighbor here? Well, we know from the parable of the Good Samaritan that um, neighbors are not just the people that you live next door to, but people who show mercy to you. So it could be family, it could be people in your street, in your circle of friends, or who you work with, okay? So love your enemies and praying for those who persecute you was a radical, Phil has called this talk radical love on the, um, on the rotor, a radical, shocking, and controversial teaching in Jesus' day. It was literally turning things upside down because it would have been so unfamiliar as we've seen in Justin Welby's tweet it's also radical shocking and controversial today to think in terms of loving your enemies and I think that's why this image went viral a few weeks ago I don't know whether any of you saw this on the BBC news or saw it on it was on social media a lot Um, the lady in this is called Amber the man here is called Brant, and the woman here is a former police officer who has just been convicted and sentenced for 10 years for shooting Brant's brother fatally 
Brandt's brother, um, Botham. So she's just gone down for 10 years. Now, if you Google this and you look on the internet, you will find a whole spectrum of opinion on this, um, on this incident. But I just want to say that, for me, just looking at that image, it is an image of radical love. Because the context of this, and you can watch, what's exciting about the US courts is that you can watch um, the, the televised version, can't you? You can actually see right in. But uh, Brandt turned to Amber as part of his testimony and said, Amber, you just need to know that I forgive you for what you've done to my brother. You also need to know that I love you. I know Jesus, and that is what he has commanded me to do. Okay? absolutely amazing radical love act and then he turned to the judge and he said excuse me ma'am I hope you don't mind well, I won't do an American accent <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't mind if I I just want to go over and give her a hug and he did that and then it sort of pan the uh, it pans past the judge and you can see the judge wiping her eyes and then coming down and joining in with a hug as well. Now that probably Ash wouldn't happen in a in a UK court in quite that way, but um, at this moment, at that time, it was an act of radical love. Now, and forgiveness as well. Now, I don't want to say that forgiveness happens immediately in lots of our circumstances. I don't want to trivialise it, but because I recognise that for lots of people, forgiveness and being forgiven is a lifelong process and a lifelong journey but this image went viral because it was so unbelievably radical okay so if you want to watch it online the three minutes I think it's three minutes it's worth watching I thought if I showed it this morning I wouldn't get much further in the preach so the Greek word for enemy is ekthron not a Greek scholar um, it's a wide word for any people that you um, don't get on with, from your personal enemy to a political enemy to probably an international enemy as well. And I have to say, when I started preparing this, you kind of examine your heart a bit, don't you, when you think about preachers and when you think about talking and speaking out in home group or whatever you're doing. And I thought to myself, I don't actually have enemies. That was my initial thought. I thought, I'm actually very fortunate. I'm not estranged from anybody. I met somebody this week who said, I'm estranged from my dad. I don't talk to him. Um, I'm fortunate. I'm blessed that I'm married and I'm not estranged from my partner. Um, and I generally get on quite well with people. And then when I unpacked the passage a bit more and prayed about it, I thought, there are people that niggle me, that aren't quite like me, and they probably don't. They probably think the same about me as well, but I do have to work to get on with people that I work with and to get on with family sometimes and extended family sometimes. And um, I, think, I think in this passage, Jesus is talking, if, we, if the Greek word is about enemy in the widest possible sense of that word, he's talking about those people that we don't find so easy. He's talking about those people that are not like us, that don't look like us, that don't act in the same way that we do, that don't make the same decisions as we would make. Um, and he is calling us 
to relate to people with love. Now, lots of you will know, if you've been through Sunday school as I have, you've probably grown up hearing lots about love in the English language being very, very limited as a word. And there are different Greek words that mean love as well, but have different meanings. Um, so I was thinking about love. I was thinking, I love curry. I love West Wing. I love quite a lot of other stuff on Netflix, although I could do with a few recommendations. I love crochet. I love my family. I love the sea. love being by the sea. I love holidays. I love living in London. And love is a really warm and fuzzy feeling, isn't it? All of those things that I love, that's a warm, fuzzy feeling. But the Greek word for love here is agape, love. And that is so much more. That is an attitude, a mindset, a choice. Or one scholar said it's bending your will to the good of another. And the best example of agape love is in Jesus. God chose us. He chose us. He demonstrated his own love for us. So in Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us, which is while we were still sinners, while we were still doing wrong, Christ died for us. So the best example of agape love. Um, I was also thinking, I love my children, but I don't always love their behavior, and they probably don't always love mine either as a parent because I'm not a perfect parent, and things in the Ratcliffe household, contrary to what you might think, aren't always perfect, and we do rub each other up the wrong way. I know, Emily, it's quite a shock, isn't it? But um, <laughs> um, we, we love each other as family. We don't... <laughs> we love each other as a family, but we don't always like things we do, and there's lots of people I love. I don't always like the choices that they make, so love is a choice. Love is an attitude, and choosing... Choosing to love our enemies doesn't mean we're choosing to like them. Um, it doesn't mean that we're choosing to like their behaviours at all. Um, Jesus called out injustice. How did he do it? Well, he prayed, didn't he? Prayed for enemies, prayed for blessing, for release of good things, for healing, for change. But he called out injustice in a non-violent and a non-hateful way, which is hugely countercultural. Hugely countercultural. We've talked lots over the last few weeks about um, getting the last word or retaliating, and Jesus didn't do that. He wasn't passive, but he didn't do that. He didn't always retaliate. So loving and praying for your enemy is a hugely radical command. Right, this verse kind of slips in, and I kind of, when I read through the passage, I hadn't really paid much attention to this verse before. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What I think is absolutely amazing about this verse, now you might disagree with me here, so you can disagree with me afterwards if you do, is I think it deconstructs a very simplistic, theology that says life will be 100% fine if we have Jesus with us and that people that don't have Jesus with them 
their lives won't work properly. Okay? Um, God is generous to the evil and the good. Okay? Um, and we only need to look in the Old Testament and think about the story of Job and see that as a godly man, not good things didn't always come to him. And that's a un- big understatement. Jesus is good news. He is good news because he comes alongside us whatever circumstance we are going through. So whether we feel the sun is shining or not, or whether we feel that it is raining or not, okay? Jesus is with us, and he wants to do good and be good news to people that don't yet know him. And that is what is so absolutely fantastic. And I think this verse um, emphasizes that. If you love those who love you, what rewards will you get are not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that. So Jesus here is picking out two enemies. He's picking out tax collectors who were Jewish but were in league with the oppressors of the time who were the Romans, Roman Empire. So he's picking out them, and he's picking out, he's using the word loosely when he says pagans, who were people that were far from God, who were probably the Romans and were non-Jewish. So he's picking out two types of people. And what I love about this verse is that he emphasizes greeting them. He doesn't say you need to invite, as the first thing, you need to invite everybody into your house and put them up and give them bed and breakfast, and be a wonderful, hospitable person. He talks about greeting people, which I just think, for me, is just like a small first step. Actually being civil to people, to saying hello to people, to uh, recognising people who aren't the same as us, and who don't think the same. I think that's really amazing. And then the last bit. So you can look at this verse and think, okay, I agree with all the rest of it, and then look at this verse and think, well, I can't do that bit, so the rest of it is rubbish as well. Okay, you could be tempted to do that. I just want to explain this first. The word perfect that's used here is the Greek word teleos, and it means end goal or maturity or full development. So actually, our end goal and our aim is to reach maturity. And that is a lifetime aim. It's not just over one preach or over one day. It's our aim for is to be more godly and live more godly lives and therefore be more perfect. But that is a lifetime aim. So we are called to grow and to mature in the kind of people who can turn enemies into neighbours through love. God said, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So although love your enemies is a command, it's a promise that in Jesus we have got everything we need. We have got the love that we need to share the love of Jesus, to share his good news, which is a hope and a future and forgiveness for everybody. And I was, I was just thinking about this week... Um, We were at Mabel's funeral on Thursday and just hearing stories, thinking about her in the context of this, hearing stories of a life well lived and an amazing life 
of hospitality and radical love in reaching out and inviting people in. It was just so absolutely incredible to see a celebration of life at the end of somebody's life. And then praying that for Jennifer as well, that in her life she'll come to know Jesus and she'll come to know everything that he has got for her, which is absolutely amazing. So this whole passage is a challenge, but it's a promise that Jesus is with us. And isn't that amazing? Yes. Amen.